Yeah. Okay, don't use that to start the thing. <laughs> <laughs> what is the basic plan again? Okay, so the idea is, well, I mean, it's twofold. But before we do that, um, can we get one, one piece of normal toast and, and two left-handed <laughs> specials, please? <laughs> and with that, good morning. Shaka Shekman, Michael Boer, Dean van Asvegen. Uh, and today, we're basically just going to be talking through just interesting points or points we find of interest um, and topics and, and how, they f how we would fit those into design or how design relates around those aspects. Uh, so the one specific one I, I'm going to be starting off with is, let's imagine you're in a uh, designing a vessel or system that is supposed to take people from Earth to Europa, the moon. Okay. Uh, the idea here is I've got a bit of knowledge around those sort of things and those sort of aspects, orbital mechanics and such. And the idea is to sort of see, I mean, I don't know how much familiarity you, either of you two have with orbital mechanics or nah, deep space flight. Okay. It's how you might with that more limited knowledge in this, the case of approaching any design, you don't know everything immediately. Can't expect that. How would you then approach it? What kind of information are you going to be looking for? What assumptions are you going to be running on immediately? So let, let's maybe start with the, the, the starting off point. Um, are you going to have a, a system that is going to, you know, you're going to start your main mission off already in orbit or are you going to try to launch up from Earth into orbit and then go? I think the biggest problem with Earth is the fact that we've got a compacted atmosphere yeah. which is pretty dense down at sea level sure. and it decays up to about 100 k's up. Yeah. Um, and if you look at all the, the big multi-stage rockets, the first stage is used to do the first 15 or, or so kilometers mm -hmm. and it gets you through Mach 1, Mach 2. Um, and, and then the rocket required to go from there upwards is actually relatively small in comparison. Well, yeah. Um, so in terms of information, you'd be looking up for that. Whether to make the judge, so, I mean, you've got the option really. You've got, two, you've got an option of two choices there. Um, what kind of information would you be looking up? Well, it would be one, you'd need to have some idea of the distance to get to, the, to, get to Europa. Sure. As well as um, a, r a rough estimate of how much propellant you, yeah, would, yeah. you, would, you, you would need. Um, then you could get an idea of the size of the actual space transport vehicle. And then once you know how big roughly that needs to be and how much material you're gonna need, you're gonna then, you can decide, do you build it on Earth? Um, or do you build sub-assemblies, send them up, assemble it in space, and then... Okay, go. cool, yeah, I mean, that's actually a pretty decent way of doing it. So we start off with the, the main sort of mission and then work out how the hell would we get that ship up. I think work out from from where you need to get to the moon, what what do you need, how frequently and how, how much, all of those sorts of things. You're then left with a two-stage problem. Once you're kind of going around the Earth, you do that for free, right? Yeah. Because obviously the moon and the Earth all move. Yes. So in terms of your aiming point, I mean, I know when they were doing Apollo, they basically shot off to where the moon would be in three days to exactly. get the gravity stuff all right. Um, but if you're going around the Earth for free in, in an not really a low Earth orbit, a little bit higher than yeah. that. Um, all you need to do is just start your acceleration point to get to where you need to be. Okay. So and, and you obviously got the moon's gravity on your side to sort of, you have to get to that, whatever that halfway point is called, where 
you just have to get there and then the immune's gravity sort of accelerates you in. Um, okay. So, for, 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 so there's the, the transition shuttle stuff over there. Yeah. And if you've got something big to do, big, big or heavy to move from orbit to the moon, that's not the real problem though. How so? Because accelerating stuff in space is relatively easy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, it is. Um, it's just where does all the propellant come from? So, for example, if you need to take a bus to the moon, you yeah. might literally need to take it up as a chassis and a shell and yeah. all the equipment and, and the moon engine and stuff like that in little chunks and then assemble it. Mm -hmm. But do you assemble it on the moon or do you assemble it before the moon or do you assemble it while you're going? Um, you know, yeah. Do you have like this giant garage which puts stuff together on route to save time or whatever? Very much so. In, in terms of that that distance, I mean, we really acknowledge the fact we know everything's moving, so those distances are going to be changing. Mm. Um, the whole point of time becomes a, a major factor in terms of planning it out. Mm. Um, but there is also something, I guess, in route, are we are going to try burn straight towards uh, Jupiter? Or are you going to take alternate routes? Are there going to be alternate routes? Well, that just comes down to basic mission planning mm -hmm. um, you'd need to figure out what are the viable routes and based on the viable routes you could then have several different design points for your vehicle um, but you need that information so how are you going to get those viable routes where would you look up that sort of information you've now said okay i need to get to that point i know maybe okay so you know and understand there might be alternate routes to be taking is google the wrong answer well, I mean, it depends what, how, what you're going to Google with that. What is the program all the students use for rockets? What, Kerbal Space yeah. Program? I mean, you could use Kerbal Space Program. There is the dual equivalent. Um, yes, you, you certainly could do that. Um, but, I mean, these are like the movement of celestial bodies, and that is relatively regular. Oh, um, oh, no, no. That's very so, well understood. So where, where each position will be at any one time, yeah. you, you, you could know that now from unless something major happens for the next 100,000 years. Yeah, so I mean, then you would basically get that information from a repository, be it the internet, be okay. it wherever you happen to find it, and you would then use that to make, a, uh, make up a model, and okay. using that model and different parameters for your vehicle, you could determine what are the viable routes with a few relatively simple calculations. If you were to have a guess a then as to the, the number of parameters, or what sort of parameters would affect your vessel on that movement, um, between now we're going from the Earth, we've left the Earth, we're now heading towards um, Europa, uh, what, what kind of parameters may start to interfere or, or, or affect your design? At that point, we've already identified mass, we've already identified thrust, space junk, yeah. space junk. Okay, how far else do you think that extends? The whole way, all, all the way to Europa, <laughs> all, all the space. Well, the, yeah, asteroids, planets stuff and like that. Oh, okay, space junk. Okay, I'm thinking of like our space junk. No, the, <laughs> okay, I mean, no, the no. vodka bottles are rather, <laughs> rather close. Oh, thank you. All right, good. No, no, fair enough. All right, so we're looking out for asteroids and, and things like that. We've got to, um, yeah, so we've got the, what is it? It's the Kuiper belt. What's the Kuiper belt? It's the belt between Mars and I think Jupiter. it is the, the Kuiper belt. Um, okay, uh, what other uh, factors? We're sending people. Is there something we need to worry about for them? Well, how long do they live? How long is the trip going to take? Okay, do you so need some kind do of... Do we need to send people, though? Let's say we do. 
And so in the context of this one, let, let, let's say we're at that particular point. That's an entirely different mission. The design question is send people to Europa. Well, the design problem yeah. is that. The, the, the question was... How? <laughs> in which case, my question is, where's your budget for people um, compared to... Uh, no, no, no. It, it certainly comes down to, to a budget factor. But what do you think in space is going to affect the people? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, they've, they've been playing around with that for years. There's obviously yeah. the, the keeping... I mean, we're gravity-based life forms. So, sure. Um, but you can create fake gravity, spinning, etc. We've discussed that before. Yeah. Um, there's obviously the food, food aspect. Um, water, you can... With a close cycle that they use in space, you can get by on hardly any, really. Um, yeah. And sort of cabin fever... But also yeah. time, like if it's going to take longer than the lifetime of a single person, are you planning for multiple generations on the vehicle and then having the third generation actually do you, to yeah. do you start with a teenager so that they're in their, I don't know, 30s by the time they get there? Okay, well, I mean, so that's now coming down to a number of factors then in terms of that information is, okay, so we need to calibrate ourselves as to how long it's going to take to get to Jupiter. What yeah. could we do? How could we get that calibration? Well, it's uh, based on the planetary model that we've... Well, we can find out what's already been done. I suppose yeah, we could yeah. run on uh, Voyager or any of those Voyager, probes. Hagen, something like that. Yeah. Okay, now they, they admittedly took a longer time, so we'd calibrate and say we'd probably do it a little quicker just to save the people. Yeah, I think they were going a little bit slow so they could have a good look at stuff. Oh, well, that, that certainly yeah. as well. Uh, but you didn't have the, the factor of people dying slowly. I mean, you could also work it backwards and just say people have to get there within a 30-year time period for it to be a, a, a valid thing so that the guys that you first send out are actually useful once they get there. No, very much And so. then work backwards to figure out, okay, how much um, power, etc., how fast do we have to go in order for that to be possible? Sure, very much so. Um, and then in terms of the... Would you say there are any changes in these effects not in terms of how people age or anything of the sort, but as you move further away from the Earth and as you move slowly towards Jupiter and its moon, it's the moon of Jupiter, by the way, uh, would you say anything changes over that time that we need to be worrying about or looking into? The use of solar for anything diminishes Solar's going to make a, have a, a, an effect there. So and we the actual to, amount, I mean, you know... Which is basically power. Yeah. Is and, where and, we're going to get our power. And from. the amount of light that's available there. I mean, you get the human eyes might literally not be able to, to... No one actually knows how bright it is. I mean, when you get the images back, those have all been photoshopped to hell. <laughs> sure. I mean, just because it lights up in a telescope mm. doesn't mean it's as bright as it is here on Earth. Very much so. Yeah, but I mean, then you just need a set of VR goggles with a camera on the front that photoshops it uh, in between. <laughs> and work out the number of pounds of fuel required <laughs> to get your VR goggles all the way to... <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Other than, other than solar, do you think, I mean, is it worth much looking at other power sources? You'd have to. Yeah. Okay, what else do you think there is as it's a starting off point? Because uh, occasionally... For 30 years, you'd have to go nuclear. Probably go something nuclear, yeah. You okay. could use fuel cells for elements of it. But I mean, yeah, you'd have to go for mm. the nuclear. All right. Um, in terms of propulsion systems, what would you think? Because I mean, the whole thing is here, anytime you're in any design is, you can ask the question, what can I do? And that occasionally might give you some information. You might find a really good source. But other times you've got to almost 
propose, I think it's this, and then look up and check, is that actually the case? So what do you think would be some valid propulsion systems? I think the, the biggest problem with the liquid stuff is the amount of energy required to maintain it. You've got to stir tanks, you've got to have loads of plumbing, you've got to, mm -hmm. you've got to keep them relatively warm compared to the, the cold space value. Yeah, yeah. I think there's opportunity there for um, either something which is based on the nuclear side or okay. else a, a, some form of solid fuel which is sort of maintenance-free. Because, I mean, the delay in communication alone is going to be problematic. Well, if you've got a crew on board, maybe you can have them control it themselves. Certainly, yeah. Um, but if anything goes wrong, I mean, if, if you get a gas leak in a, in a gas-based propulsion system, you're screwed. So maybe, I suppose, you could put supplies and spares and things like on board so you could repair it and fix it. Theoretically, you have sensors. Hell, you can even have automated... All that stuff weighs stuff, eh? No, okay. No. I mean, so certainly mass is becoming is an issue. So we're very aware of this mass constraint, and that is a, a yeah. Major but I mean, factor. if you're planning on a thirty-year trip, there's very few man-made devices ever that require zero maintenance over a period of thirty years or however many and decades. That, and that's because everything's been based on a cost-based thing, and nothing needs to last for thirty years. Whereas for this, uh, you know, if, if you want to get them to Europa and have them do spacewalks, you need a spacesuit which could be used 30 years what maintenance seals yeah. you name it it's, it's yeah. real with someone who grows uh, or shrinks or <laughs> okay oh uh, that's an interesting point there in terms of those sort of suits what, what do you think okay so they need to obviously protect from vacuum hmm. um and micrometeorites and things like that anything else they need to protect from that you could envisage or do you think it's a case of if it works on in orbit or works on the moon, our moon, Luna, um, do you think it'll work on Europa? I think the one extra thing we should have to think about including in a space suit is, is um, some form of, of health thing. I mean, the chances sure. of someone remaining perfectly healthy for over 30 years without developing pneumonia or something is, yeah. is slim to none. Mm. Yeah. Um, maybe make it that it's it's got some of the stuff which is not yet included in, in a space suit, yeah. but could be. You also need to know what the conditions on Europa are. Okay, now you, you could Google conditions on Europa. The main information you're likely to get is surface temperatures, yeah. um, surface quality, and, and things like that. Atmospheric composition, probably. Uh, Europa does not have no an atmosphere, atmosphere um, I believe. Probably check that. Let's see if it does or doesn't. Uh, I believe the only one that does is Titan. And we're not going there anytime soon. Uh, Okay, so certainly, yeah, we'd look up that. Um, but any hypothesis as to any other external sources of, of issue we'd have? Moon creatures. Moon creatures, definitely. We have to certainly search for that. We'll Google it. I guarantee <laughs> you will find something. I'm pretty certain that if you Google that, you would find something of that sort there. Um, all right, I think that's, that's enough. So some interesting points to sort of raise is that a lot of this is then when moving through this design, if we were to now have continued this, one of the underlying assumptions that has come up the whole time is this lock into this 30-year band, this, this time. Mm. And it is a, certainly a factor and is likely currently in our current technology to be a factor. But the way technology is progressing and it's largely due with thrust and things, that might not necessarily be much of something. Mm -hmm. And the problem is in that, in by keeping to that assumption, having locked into it, 
even if you currently look at okay, how long did it take Voyager to get to mm-hmm. Jupiter, is that your assumptions are always based on that. So you're always worrying about people having the 30-year issue instead of just the shorter-term issues. The other thing is Jupiter produces radiation. And certainly when you're there, you've got radiation, and as you get further away from our sun, that sort of solar radiation from the sun is going to decrease. But Jupiter has got an excessive amount of radiation. It's not something you'd necessarily, in terms of Europa's data, unless you're thinking that you should probably be finding that information, you might not actually see it. So that's something to then, it's where there are these pitfalls and things that that come about. Um, Not that there's any kind of easy loophole to how to sort this out for your designs, but that's where a good general engineering knowledge of things makes your designs better simply by having that sort of information. Um, in terms of asteroids and things, Kuiper Belt, you can fly through that and you're pretty much here. The odds of hitting anything are next to none. You have to aim for something. Until you hit something. <laughs> Until you hit, admittedly so, but the, the distances between it, where you display it in movies where you have these asteroids everywhere and you're dodging left and right and half fight and suddenly gets hit. It's telling me Star Wars isn't real. <sighs> Well, I'm okay. Okay, technically, that was uh, Alderaan that had been blown up. So, you know, if we're going to get into that sort of, <laughs> if we're blowing up planets now, um, but yeah, okay. So the, the general idea here is to just be very careful with certain assumptions. How you might get the other information together, but relying on that one simple assumption, whether it's gravitational effects. Okay, do we need to spin? Are there other ways to generate gravity? Um, do we go ion engine, which would basically be through nuclear in terms of an electrical charge system, as opposed to some kind of burning of nuclear fuel? Throwing people at the back, the mental transfer. <laughs> sure. Um, we get there with one person having started with 100,000. Um, I, th- I think the biggest sort of pitfall that, uh, that we sort of fell into was, you know, all of these, um, these space probes are designed for like absolute minimum mass and you know how fast is fast enough um there wasn't a desired target to get to view you know planet x in 13 days after launch no um whereas for you know getting humans on the moon there was oxygen limits etc yeah so speed was part of its major fact um, major criteria in your euros it's probably one of the most important things time yeah and and i think the Lunar moon was close enough that, you know, fuel didn't matter. Whereas mm. for Mars, it's far enough away that it does. It comes down to the whole thing because, uh, you know, when you, you're moving through these sort of systems, do you make one small quick burn mm. and then just drift the whole way? Or do you have a continuous burn system currently maybe achievable, I guess, maybe through an iron Hybrid engine? Or so, yeah. yeah. Um, you're then continuously burning and you can get through, the, you can get through there quicker. Um, none of our current systems are really doing that mm. so you're not going to necessarily find information You go, it's where you then have to think outside the box and especially for the stuff where you're so unfamiliar with the tech with the strategies with the methodologies I find a lot of students and people in general just don't go out the box at the point because they don't know what the box actually is um, and it's very difficult to completely define the box before moving forward but you should try and go those extra ideas and go those weird ones and just prove them rather than saying, I don't think it's going to work. I'm not even going to try it. Um, those effects. 
All right, that's one at least. We're going to try another one. Can do. Um, who's next? Shock and not. Okay, well... <laughs> you both can't say no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we look at control of a UAV, right? Yeah. We want this thing now to fly autonomously, mm -hmm. but we want it to be able to not just hold a particular altitude, but we want to be able to somewhat follow, follow terrain. So if there's a big ass mountain in front of it, we want it to be able to either climb up over it or bank around it. The way that you would define it is you want it to miss the goats in the cloud. <laughs> Pretty much, yep. Um, and we want to do all this using a simple VGA camera because if a person can, with their eyes, figure it out, why can't um, a drone using a camera do it? Is that realistic? Yep. Ser seriously. I've done it. No, 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 no. I, I can understand you can do it. I, 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 I'm not doubting that. Yeah. But putting that restriction on design, is that feasible? I mean, is there a merit to it? Um, no. So there are a few other ways you could do it. Okay. Um, so, okay. So a VJ camera is one way. What are a few of the other ways that you could, could go about it? Um, Expensively, I think you could go with like some sort of radar detection system. Okay, so radar or LIDAR is yeah. possible, point cloud. That gives you direct um, distance sensing. Problem with those systems is that they're heavy. Okay. Um, they're, they're pretty big, they're pretty heavy, um, especially if you want relatively accurate, accurate readings and stuff like that. They also can be fooled by foliage and things like that as well sometimes. Oh, right, um, okay, yeah. So if there's he heavy trees or whatever and you're flying relatively low, um, you might not get a very accurate... Uh, distance to and a realistic obstacle right um yeah so a camera is super light super cheap sure you could put it on a small two three kilogram uh uav okay oh yeah okay um do you need two cameras or do you just get away with one uh, you can get away with one how do you do depth sensing you don't need to okay so would you then have to be looking at a way of it's not just because the, I can understand if you're flying in one single direction, object become bigger, object moving towards you, okay, distance can be in turn. But I get an object, I now turn, that object's gone away, having moved closer regardless. I don't think it looks at individual objects, it would look at the basic Oh, picture. no, 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 I, I mean, I get Basically that. Basically like the landscape. Let, let's say we're flying over the Scottish Highlands and there is nothing but goddamn hills and maybe one tree up there and a sheep. <laughs> um, the sheep's to your left, the tree's to your right now. How, I mean, how? So let's then. What do you know of that can do this? They can navigate with a single camera system. Well, not with a single camera system, but something that can fly an airplane and is able to keep straight and level and bank left or right when necessary. Well, a person. Okay, cool. So, how okay. does a person do it? Put yourself in the cockpit. The Mark 1 human eyeball. <laughs> Mark 1 human eyeball? No, I get that. But then, I mean, I've got depth perception. Okay, cool. But so what, what kind of landmarks does a person use to figure out um, are they, if you're flying straight and level? Um, okay, okay, I see. Okay, so I mean, I'm looking for roads. I'm looking for telephone poles. Well, things that are going to be straight then. That's, or, yeah, okay. okay. Things, things that are straight. Okay. Um... um Landmarks, natural. Like if you're looking, flying straight ahead, yeah. 
what do you always see out of the well, okay, what so should you always where see where blue meets green yeah, yeah. Okay, okay fair cool. enough so you've got your horizon line which is a constant reference does the system allow to have altimeters and things like that or is it purely you can of? you can the problem with an altimeter is that tells you what altitude you're flying at yeah right so you could combine an altimeter with um, high definition maps um, and you can get an idea of there should be a mountain where I am. Well, I mean, I, I'm just thinking the fact is you've got a mountain. Well, that's the horizon and the rest of my flight, my plane is flying 90 or like 45 degrees angled. Yeah. Um, do you not need extra information over and above that horizon line to uh, as a defining point? The, a system like this would only work certain height of the ground. No, okay. if, if you're flying in between in a forest, mm. it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, oh, okay. so, okay. so, so basically, so that, that, this is, you know, how accurate do you need it? And the thing is, if you need it um, quite high up for observation purposes as opposed to targeting or anything yeah, else, yeah. high enough up that would work, obviously, given okay. the right kind of weather conditions. You know, if it's all hazy and foggy, it's a bit tricky, but if you've swapped it out with a thermal Different camera or something. Optics, yeah. um, if you're high enough up, the horizon is basically flat. Mountain ranges are yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly, yeah, down yeah. at um, But you would need something, you know, maybe just a barometric thing. If if altitude was important to maintain reasonably accurately, yeah. you just need to make sure that you're not climbing or descending. I mean, think about yeah. when you drive down to Durban, all of a sudden the horizon goes from here to being yeah. down yeah. there, in which case the aircraft would basically yeah. kind of follow it. If it had to maintain altitude, you'd need one other sensor. Mm. But otherwise, if it was just, you know, fly around in a yeah. straight line or something yeah. you could certainly okay do so that. that's you've tapped onto the one limitation is true picture altitude control is difficult because mm. it's uh if you're at a lower altitude the horizon lines in a slightly different place sure. and it, it's not quite you you might be pitched up slightly and that's why it's in a different place or it might be different altitude so you can for the most part control pitch based on where the horizon line sits but your altitude might vary a bit Roll you can control pretty precisely yes, um, yeah, with the flat horizon line. If you do end up lower down, your horizon line would, you kind of average it out and okay. you end up with your obstacle avoidance um, Picking the system. best scenario out yeah. of what it would see, I guess. Basically, yeah. So horizon looks a bit funky on the left, let's just go a bit right. Okay, okay that looks better and then yeah. let me do that. Yeah. So I mean, basically how the system works overall it uses what's called a convolutional neural network which is basically a really really good at image classification so if you train the network and you show it this is a dog and you tell the network this is a dog and you show it a thousand different pictures of dogs in different orientations it learns to associate that picture of a dog with the label dog even though it's different um, different orientations, different zooms, etc. Okay. So now you apply that same kind of logic this to horizon. this horizon scenario, except now you're not classifying dog, cat, coffee yeah. cup, etc. You're classifying what the aircraft needs to do. Okay. So, so yeah. if you see the aircraft banking left and you want it to be flying straight and level, that picture with the horizon in that position gets labeled as bank right. Okay. And you feed that through okay. the network, and eventually it learns to associate being banked right with how do you generate that data? Well, that, that, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Right? So is, is this thing, I mean, let's assume there's no self-learning built into this. Yeah, no, no self You'd have to think of everything. Yeah. Because if you gave it something 
that, ooh, geez, think about this, um, you know, basically hit the bird, tumble upside down. Um, yes. Oh, I've never been upside down. I don't know what upside down is. Oh dear. I, and, and I don't know how to fix it. Um, if there's a self-learning thing, which is the, oh, now I'm in this weird yeah, thing, yeah. but what happened is I rolled much more than I've ever rolled before, so but it was roll, 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 roll. Now I'm stuck. Uh, well, let me just undo what happened yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or something else. Yeah. Is self-learning built into it? Um, so this particular algorithm didn't use self-learning. Yeah. Um, it was using imitation learning, yeah. which is basically a human operator will fly the thing. Basically train it. Exactly. But now you can't just fly straight and level because then it's only going to have seen straight and level. Yeah. And you also can't um, deviate from straight and level because then it's not going to know, okay, what is a corrective action and what is a, a, sure. a deviation. So how do you train it specifically to return to straight and level? What information do you need to give it? From a, Okay, so we're talking about having done a maneuver now, yeah. a, a turn. Yeah. No, go, go there. Um, I'd, I'd say, I mean, not, not being anything remotely like an expert in this, I'd say maybe there are two ways to do it. Yeah. One is to show it how to end up doing something yes. so it can back out of it, or else it's to put it in a scenario and then train it out of the yeah. scenario. So uh, Yeah, I would say that the, the, it's basically you put it into three situations. Am I in a maneuver? Yes. Okay, you're allowed to have the horizon at the... And so you recalibrate what was a turn right or bank right maneuver is now a keep it maneuver and all right the maneuver now has to stop i've done the 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 time and all that i need to now let's activate the second bit so you basically have three sets of learned conditions that are distinct from one another okay so shark are you overcomplicating it slightly forget it would mike's second solution is as simple as it is you so start it in, the wrong, in the wrong position and you show it how to get back to straight and level Mm. So if you're doing this in a computer simulator, you've got WASD to yeah. control it. You put it into a, a steep bank, then you turn on the data generation, so you're capturing your frames and your keystrokes, yeah. and you bring it back to, to straight and level. Oh. And that's what you train it on. You put it into bad positions, and you, you consistently it. just bring it back into the correct position. And once you've then trained the network, it'll then learn to recognize, if I'm in this position, I need to roll left. If I'm in... This other position, I need to roll right, I need to pitch up, I need to pitch down, whatever, to maintain a straight and level okay. position. That's so it's just a case of then just envisaging every possible bad thing that can happen. and Not even every possible, you just no. need enough. Yeah, Because okay. the, 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 the beauty with machine learning is you don't have to cater for every single case. It can kind of fill in the blanks if it okay. has enough data. Okay. So as long as you have enough situations, it'll be able to cope in most, um, most scenarios. With that image identification system, yeah. how, I mean, is it something you code where, you, you know, you're looking for key identity, you, you know, for, say for horizon thing? Yeah. Is it a, are we looking for a color change? Or so, are you, looking for, you, you don't actually specify what network needs to look for. Oh, okay. Based on the layers in the network, it will pick out the relevant features. So, um, it basically has a whole a series of sliding filters, which will pick out certain um, parts of the image, okay. as well as layers which combine certain pixels. Mm. Um, and eventually, it just reduces the dimensionality of it, and then it passes it through a neural network. And slowly, the network begins to pick out which features are relevant. So, you don't okay. have to say that this is important, but based on this input and this required output, 
it adjusts all the little bits of the, the network, the same as the synapses in your, in your brain, yeah, and yeah. makes the links between level horizon equals don't need to do anything. Horizon this way equals need to sure. need to do that. I mean, I suppose this is this is not to knock it. Yeah. Let's call it a simplified case. Yeah. But if it was to become quite more complex, like let's say you know the visual stuff was used for a high speed um, underground minor rescue craft yeah. that could literally yeah. zip. You know, I'm imagining something literally out of a James Bond movie type sure. thing. Um, just as we discussed with going to Europa, if you ended up with a wrong, bad scenario programmed yep. into it, yeah. um, th that could become quite well, problematic. Exactly the same thing with the whole Europa assumption. If you try and train it just by flying around and then you put it into a bad position and then you correct and you're training the whole time on that data, yeah. it's never going to learn what do I need to do to correct. It's just going to learn to fly around randomly because uh. the, the network can't tell the difference between this is the right action, this is the wrong action. You have to only feed it with the appropriate actions that it needs to take. Okay, so, so really trying to overtrain it and over exactly. overlearn is actually really yeah, bad. Yeah, so you end up overfitting that particular problem, that particular environment. It can't generalize to, oh, to anything else. I'm actually just thinking about it. I mean, if you think about how we probably learn things as, as kids, it's far better to make a mistake and then learn how to fix it. Yeah, but you have to know it's a mistake. Yes, so, yeah. so there's that part yeah. of it. But, you know, imagine life if you were just told these are all the mistakes that you can't afford to make. <laughs> yep. Exactly, yeah. You would never do anything. Bubble boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so now, if we take that one step further, we've now got an airplane that can fly straight and level. Sure. How do we now, using the same control system, okay. tell it that I want a 30 degree bank angle? WASD turn into 30 degree bank angle. Okay, so you want to just generate a whole lot more training data with you flying it at a, instead of correcting to zero, correct to 30 degrees and fly like that. Well, the alternative I think is, uh, my worry would be overcomplicating is teach it to do bad. So when you're in this position, you have to correct, mm -hmm. just uncorrect that. Don't do a 60 degree bank, <coughs> bring it back to 30. Yes. And when done, bring it back to zero. Any other ideas on how you could? Um, um... Recalibrate what level is. Okay, how would you do that? Just some ideas. Um, if you were to have, well, I mean, you're matching off a, a horizon line, a mm -hmm. relatively equal line, just plus 30 degrees into the code in terms of what that equals level. It depends. Yeah, almost... it, it, it depends. Is this a 30 degree bank or is it a turn with a 30 degree bank? Because if it's a turn, uh. you could pick out things in what the camera sees and those would need to track. Okay, let's just say we want a 30 degree bank angle. So flying straight, you just want it to bank 30 degrees so the camera could take a picture of something or yeah. something like that. So think about it, the information that's coming in is a picture, Yeah. right? So the only thing that the UAV actually knows is that picture. It doesn't okay. actually know where it is in the environment. Sure. It only knows the picture. So what, just rotate the picture exactly oh, yeah. so if you just take that incoming picture and you rotate it by whatever angle you want the aircraft to be at opposite surely yeah well yes, it, yeah. it'll then think oh shit it'll be flying level think yeah. oh shit i'm not level and then <laughs> once it's at the angle you want it to be at it thinks it's level so all you have to do is control the camera basically yeah if you think about it or even just with the computer well, software, software just you don't need to gamble that camera or yeah. anything yeah you could you could do it rotating the camera or you can just rotate the image yeah. in software Sure. So I mean, the sort of application for this would be, you know, 
double checking that that pilots are landing on the correct runway or or whatever as well. Yeah, yeah, you can a, use it like an that image well. at you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this again. I, I I've seen in design where in what I did where I overcomplicated the hell out of it. I wouldn't have thought to go simple. I rarely think to go simple. I always tend to overcomplicate yeah. things. And students do the same thing. Mm. And that you end up with this horribly complex system with a code that's trying to, you got 50 different codes for every different scenario yeah. rather than just get that one code. To be I think it's a, a point worth discussing. So, you know, as soon as you mentioned what you wanted to do, Dean just said you've overcomplicated it. Yeah. And I think that is based on an algorithm where we thought it through. We've got a way that we can do it. You yeah. then either ask someone else or a student says, I've thought to do the same thing. Instantly you're like, okay, I've gotten a way to do it. You then yeah. the, the student explains it and you think, there are 14 more steps in what you want to do. Yeah. And I haven't actually done it, but I can see that if you just do it in these three, you're there yeah. and there'll be plenty of time to, to expand it. Therefore, mine is less complex than yours. Yeah. And sometimes you end up with, with the way where, you know, a student's trying to explain something and you think, all right, if you do this, 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 and the student will say something and you think, that's not possible, is it? Oh, hang on, it is. I've overcomplicated it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah exactly. Shit, I got, yeah. And, and the problem is complicated um, when you're working costs money. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. You need to try and simplify your system. And it, it's... Almost there's those design considerations. We sort of touched on it very basically last week with, with Triz. Uh, with design considerations, you can sometimes over-consider too many factors. So you're going to Europa, but what if we actually wanted to go to the next moon? And what if we wanted to do this and what if we wanted to do this? What if we want our drone to actually be able to now do aerobatic maneuvers at an air show and then return and continue doing surveillance. No, it just needs to do this one thing. It's, it's one of the reasons that when it comes to design considerations, there are the two F words, functions and features. Yeah. And if you get what the function has to be, yeah. if you've not got the function down, whatever features you come up with on, on how to do it, yeah. it's going to be... All wrong. wrong of some sort. And if you yeah. come up with the simplest possible function, you need to come up with the simplest feature that allows you to do it. Exactly. And that's where you end up with a classic thing of, well, yeah, do you freeze the camera in the UAV and yeah. make the UAV turn, or do you then turn the camera, or do you just use software and turn the image? Yeah. In which case, you could build in redundancy. Yeah. If the software bugs out and it can't turn the image because the image looks funny, just flip and turn the camera. Yeah, yeah. Or if that bugs out, just turn the airplane or whatever the case is. Are there the sort of redundancies in these sort of codes as like double checks? And yeah, so like that? that that you get onto what's called adversarial networks, and okay. they've actually got that in the um, new Teslas. They built their old computing board up from scratch, which is two ind independent computers, uh -huh. which actually essentially argue against each other. Okay. Um, so there's that redundancy in the system where one sees an obstacle and it's like, well, we can't go there, and the other one's like. No, we can, yeah. and there's a, a confidence interval kind of kind of thing there where the, the, the two redundant systems are double-checking each other, okay. but the car is also able to run on only one. Yeah. So if, for whatever reason, the one computer goes down or has to reboot, then it's still got a functioning system which can continue um, autopiloting the car, essentially. I think the space shuttle had the same thing. I think the space shuttle had, like, it was either 7 or 21. I think it was a ratio yeah. of 7 computers. Hmm. And if... And basically, we need to do something, check these maneuvers. Yeah. 
All the computers say yes, cool. One computer says no, right, we ignore that computer for the rest of the flight because majority ruled he was wrong. He cannot ever be trusted or she. again. It cannot be trusted. <laughs> we do not trust the computer. <laughs> oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, yes. It was not trusted. It was deleted. Well, not deleted. God damn it. <laughs> Ejected out the back. <laughs> Throw out the computer and use it as thrust. <laughs> You're the weakest link. Goodbye. <laughs> and then it's going ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, ding. All right, what is the next orbital trajectory to get to the space station? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's right down the answer. Computer one, your answer is... No, I'm sorry, we have to eject you. <laughs> anyway. I think that's... I mean, we wanna, is there anything else we want to discuss? Any other topics you can come up with? All right, I think that's good enough for the day. Cool. All right, thanks very much for listening. I'll catch you guys next week. Cheers. <laughs>